Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. I forgot how to do the intro. It's been <laughs> too long. It's not my fault. I suggested doing it like twice. But I have been putting out YouTube videos pretty frequently. So at Sound of History underscore on YouTube, see some of those talking about other cool bands and artists and stuff. I it's watched fun. some. Did you? Yes. Wow. So yeah, check that out if you have missed our stuff. It's different, but the same kind of subject matter. I've not been doing anything of a creative feat. <laughs> not been doing anything creative with your feet? Definitely not with my feet. What have you been doing? We'll go into Mika's the host now. I don't know. <laughs> You've had a, many weeks to I, think about I don't this. know what I'm passionate about. Well, what what doesn't have to be passionate about? What have you been doing? Just I don't know. It's your segment. You no, gotta... I don't know. You know when people are like, what have you been up to? And you're like, work. You what have I been up to? You haven't done your intro yet. You got to intro your I segment. don't know what to talk about. <laughs> you got to talk about something. <laughs> Need your help. What have I been doing? We went to a whole other country. There's plenty oh, to yeah. talk okay. about. Okay, we did do that. Mika is a host now. Um, I'm scared I might have asthma. What? I've been wheezy for the past hour. It's not what we, we had talked about our our trip. <laughs> so I was expecting that. <laughs> you just randomly brought up asthma. I don't know. I think I might have asthma. And my skin's bad. And my nails are bad. We did go to London. And then we went to Edinburgh. That was fun. My skin was bad there too. But the trains are good. We saw a show. We saw Mamma Mia. It was fun. We did a sing-along when they told us to. Oh, yeah. At the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was fun. I was so tired by that point. Oh, yeah. I was okay. I don't remember what else we did. We went to the best restaurant in the whole wide world. It's in London, and it's fantastic. It's called... That's it. That's all you get. Evelyn's <laughs> Go find Evelyn's Table? Yes. Evelyn's Table. Holy cow. It, it, I just it, it was the best it was the best meal of my whole life I don't think there will be a better meal I really don't it was fantastic it was my first Michelin starred restaurant it was your first Michelin starred restaurant mm-hmm. it was fantastic oh my gosh there was this focaccia it was so good I think that that's I think that I'm done now please make <laughs> me stop I'm just gonna let you keep going until you I like my mug. My mug is green and it has fir trees, fir tree leaves on it in white and it says joy to the world. It's my favorite mug in the Christmas time. Happy Christmas time. Okay. It's like in Harry Potter. Happy Christmas. <laughs> Happy Christmas, Ron. Am I Ron now? I don't want to be Ron. Why? No, he's okay. Ron's the best. You good? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about? I'm going to cough. <laughs> okay. I guess Mika is no longer the host now. I'm scared I have asthma. I think you I just... developed a dairy intolerance and I developed asthma. Maybe. What oh, well. else is going to go wrong? Everything, apparently. So do you have... I don't know. No, no, no idea no. about what we've been talking None. about? None. Nothing. We're in the 80s. The last couple episodes. I remember Madonna. Yeah, that was our last episode. Madonna was yeah. our last episode. <laughs> All that time ago. Sorry, I just made the podcast freak out. I'm sorry. I can't <laughs> stay. The, the, I have to lean forward to be in the mic. And I just did like this. 
so our last episode was Madonna because we were talking about pop music in the 80s. We talked a little bit about like uh, boy bands before that. We talked about Marky Mark. We talked about the New Romantics and that whole like Karma Chameleon thing and Culture Club. Any of that ringing any bells? I remember Marky Mark because I didn't know that he was a thing. We talked about Madonna, but there's more 80s pop music that we need to talk about. So I figured we could talk about one of the most influential and groundbreaking artists of the 80s. Michael Jackson. And maybe of all time, Prince. Prince. (laughs) Good job. You guessed it. Do you know anything about Prince at all? I know he was on New Girl. Okay. Did that episode teach you anything about him? He's mysterious. Butterflies like him. He can play ping pong. Yeah, that's fair. And he, I know he's incredibly talented and really cool and like what? a fantastic performer and just like really out there and creative and the costumes and, and good. Yeah, well, we'll see what else you learn about him from this. I feel like there was more I was supposed to say in the intro and I just forgot everything, so. When did you write this? No, I mean like, in our intro before we start talking about Prince. Oh, well, n- no, it's just like follow us on Twitter, except for now it's on YouTube. I don't think we've tweeted in months. Right. Yeah, leave us reviews, ratings, whatever. Talk to us. Tell us what we do wrong. Okay. Prince Rogers Nelson was born in Minneapolis in 1958. Both of his parents were musicians. His, his name is Prince? Yep. Prince Rogers Nelson. That's awesome. It's a good name. Yeah. His dad was a pianist and songwriter named John Nelson, who went by the name of Prince Rogers. So are you seeing where he got his name from? Did you listen to what I just said? His dad. Yeah. His dad's stage name was Prince Rogers. So they had a kid and named him Prince Rogers. So they just thrust all this upon him by his name. So his dad had a jazz trio in Minnesota, and he met Maddie Della Shaw at a show one day. She became the singer in Prince's dad's group, and the two would get married in 1957 and eventually have two children before splitting up in 1965. That's kind of short. Yeah. It was not, not the happiest of marriages. Oh, no. What's wrong with him? So Prince, as we just discussed, was named after his father's stage name. His father said he chose that name because he wanted his son to do everything that he couldn't do. And he was an asshole about it. Prince didn't like the name, and people called him Skipper instead throughout his childhood. And that's better? (laughs) Apparently (laughs) at the time, I don't know. Okay. Maybe it was just associated with all of the pressure, I don't know. Prince grew up surrounded by music and said that he was enchanted by his dad's piano as early as three years old, but he wasn't allowed to touch it. Which is... An interesting way to try and get your son to be like this star musician. Just don't let him touch instruments. Yeah. But his parents divorced when Prince was seven. So his dad moved out and that allowed Prince the freedom to start. To touch the piano. Yeah. To start playing around on the piano for himself. Why didn't dad take his piano? It probably wasn't his. I don't know. Well, then why could he tell Prince not to touch it? There's a lot that goes into a divorce in terms of splitting up possessions. So maybe he didn't. His mom's like, and I'm taking that piano. (laughs) More power to her. He apparently wrote his first song when he was seven, and his dad bought him a guitar, which he quickly learned how to play, along with the drums and the piano. 
he'd eventually teach himself how to play 27 different instruments. Wow. Prince had a pretty rough childhood because his family was in poverty for most of it. He said they'd go to McDonald's and, quote, I didn't have any money, so I just stand outside and smell stuff. Poverty makes people angry, brings out their worst side. I was very bitter when I was young. I was insecure, and I'd attack anybody, end quote. He also suffered from epilepsy from birth, which caused him to be teased quite a bit. I didn't know that. He said that he tried to compensate in his performances by being as flashy and noisy as he possibly could. Because if that's one thing about seizures, they are not flashy. (laughs) They are not noisy. (laughs) They are not exciting. I don't think he was specifically compensating for his epilepsy. I think it was just for this whole attitude of like not of being teased and put down and not enough. Honestly, whatever coping mechanisms he finds, I support. Well, most of them. His mother remarried, and he had a pretty back-and-forth relationship with his stepfather. That caused him to switch homes often, occasionally living with his dad and then his mother. But eventually his dad threw him out, so he started living in his school friend's basement. It's like 11. Yeah, exactly like 11. I thought you were saying, was his age 11? I was like, I don't know. That friend, whose basement he was living in, was named Andre, and he kind of became Prince's first musical collaborator. Andre's dad had been a member of Prince's dad's band back in the day. Cute. Comes full circle. Cute. In school, Prince played a lot of sports and even took dance classes, but his first love was always music. He eventually quit the basketball team to focus on jamming in the school music room. He never joined the high school band, and he preferred to get his musical education from the radio. He and Andre would spend hours listening to people like Carlos Santana, Joni Mitchell, and the classic R&B and soul singers. In high school, he and Andre formed a band called Grand Central, which was the name of their high school. Cute. That's so boy. What, just naming it after the high school? Yeah. It's a good name. Like, if you didn't know it was high school, you'd be mm-hmm. okay. It's just cute. It's just cute. I'm going to get my friend. Our, what should we be called? Oh. Grand Grand Central? Yeah, Grand Central. So what would yours be called? Independence? No, you don't even know where I went to high school? I know where it is. I don't remember the name. I know where you went to high school. As you can see. Grand Central performed instrumental covers of their favorite funk songs. They brought in a new drummer whose mother became their manager, and she... Whoa, what? (laughs) And she renamed the band Grand Central Corporation. I don't like her. She comes in, she tries to immediately rename the band and adds in a corporation. Yeah. Ma'am, get out. Like, you do not belong in this creative space. This is a helicopter I think, parrot. I think that corporation was like very funk name. Like, I don't know. It just feels like that's the kind of style that it's was not there business at the time. casual. Right. <laughs> uh, but pretty, sh- uh, pretty soon after that, the band was renamed again to Champagne. That's better. Yeah. I'm surprised there hasn't been a successful band named Champagne yet. Like, that just seems like such a... It's good. Yeah. Is there a band named Beer? I was just thinking that, too. I don't know. It would be hard to find them. Yeah. What are you supposed to Google? Beer band? Yeah. But, like, back in the 70s, that wouldn't have mattered. Because no one's Googling in the 70s. That's true. Um... So Champagne ended up getting some traction in Minneapolis in the Battle of the Band circuits. Cute. This is like a Disney movie or maybe Nickelodeon. (laughs) Prince said it was a very competitive scene. He said, quote, you had to be as out as you could and as different and as much as 
and as much you as possible, end quote. This is so cute. I'm telling you, this is a, this is a kid show. Prince stepped into a professional studio for the first time in December of 1975 when he and Andre became session musicians for the husband of Prince's cousin. Okay. Who was named Pepe Willie. Cool. Pepe Willie? It can't be no. Pepe Willie. It's got to be Pepe <laughs> Willie. <laughs> Pepe Willie. Stop it right now. It's got to be Pepe. <laughs> Pepe actually became a pretty big influence on Prince, teaching him about the music industry and how to craft a song. Prince and Pepe wrote the song Just Another Sucker that Pepe's band, which was called 94 East, recorded. Here is that song that was one of Prince's first. Prince Games. Oh, it's the, that's the top. Yeah. That's nice Featuring Prince. <laughs> they know the same point, doesn't they? This is funky and I like it. I like it. But Prince had his eyes set on something far bigger than being a session musician. He recorded a very raw demo tape at home, saved up his money from his session gigs, and flew to New York City to pitch himself to record labels. But no one was biting. So he went back home, and a guy named Chris Moon, who worked with Prince on the demo and co-wrote like the main song on it, mm-hmm. took the demo to an ad agency that was owned by a musician and concert promoter who immediately recognized Prince's talent. Good for that person. So far in the story, there's just been a lot of this person who is this and this. And like, there's a lot of weird. I don't know. They're, just they're like, all supporting characters. No yeah. one was ever going to be the main character besides him. So that ad agency executive, whose name was Owen Husney, signed a contract to be Prince's manager. Owen had Prince re-record the demo at a better studio and created a press kit for him. That resulted in a lot of interest from the major labels because of the the marketing of the press kit and not because of his actual talent. Prince ended up signing a record deal with Warner Brothers. I've seen some people say that he was 17 when he signed it. Some say 19, but it was sometime around. Younger than me. (laughs) Sometime between 17 and 19. The deal was actually incredible. It allowed him full creative control for three albums, and he got to keep his publishing rights. Wow. Which is, like, absurd for an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, like, absurd for anybody. Yeah. But, I mean, that you would expect that for, like, a more established artist, maybe, like, the Beatles would be getting that kind of deal. Owen and Prince moved to California, where they recorded Prince's first album, called For You, that was released in 1978. Prince also brought Andre along for the recording, and all tracks were produced, arranged, composed, and performed by Prince. Nice. It did pretty well in the soul charts and found a little success in the main charts, largely on the back of the single, which was called Soft and Wet. Oh. And it peaked at number 92. Do you wanna, okay. You want to hear Soft and Wet? You know I do. Well, here you go. 
find some people are really crazy on the internet. Alright, that's soft and wet. It's not my favorite. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not gonna lie to you, it kinda sounds like video game music a little bit. Like you're yeah. just like you know, like creating your person or just like mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. From the start, Prince knew exactly how he wanted to present himself. Not as a soul singer or a black artist, but as a new pop star who could blend genres and appeal to mainstream audiences in every part of every city. I'm so impressed with like his point of view mm-hmm. being so strong from the beginning. Like yeah. like he knew his direction and he stuck to it. I don't know. Like it, it comes across as like I know myself. Mm-hmm. But even if he didn't know himself, he like faked it really freaking yeah. well. He found out who he wanted to be. He kept that idea in mind when it came to when it came time to assemble a band for his first tour. He created what he described as a rainbow band made up of men and women, black and white, representation of the culturally fluid world that he encapsulated in his music. He said, quote, I listened to all kinds of music when I was young, and when I was younger, I always said that one day I was going to play all kinds of music and not be judged for the color of my skin, but the quality of my work, end quote. But those shows didn't start out incredibly polished. At one of the first ones, Warner executives in attendance realized that Prince needed more time to polish his music, so they pulled the plug on the tour and convinced Prince to get a new manager. Aww. The label was kind of annoyed that the one album overran the studio time and basically spent their entire budget for all three albums on just that first one, which is, you know, not a good way to endear yourself to the label. He has to be artistically perfect. (laughs) The integrity of the album. So they wanted Prince to have a more experienced manager. Enter Steve Fargnoli. Fargnoli. Yep. He was part of the management team that broke earth, wind, and fire. So he knew what he was doing. In 1979, Prince released his second album that was much more polished and that kind of relaunched him as an artist. It was simply titled Prince, and it hit number 22 in the single I Want to Be Your Lover hit number 11. Do you want to hear I Want to Be Your Lover? I do. Well, here you go. Are you going to sing it to me? I don't know it. Do you want to be my lover? Yes. But I don't know the song. Okay. I wrote this like a year ago. Really? No. It's probably like six to eight months ago. I ain't got no money. Official music video. Who's here because they actually love Prince eyes? Not you. I mean, no, I love him. <laughs> Look at him. I want to be your lover. How are you feeling about it? I love him. What about the music, though? Eh. (laughs) Okay. Through all of this, he earned enough money to buy a ranch house in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Nice. Which is where he would end up recording his next album, which was called Dirty Mind. 
Because it was produced at his home studio, it gave rise to what is known as the Minneapolis sound. He created a sound? I guess. I guess just no one else in Minnesota was making music. So it's like, hey, he did it here. Well, that's not true. There's probably a lot of people who were. But. Yeah, you're being mean to the Minnesotians. Keep going. What is it? <laughs> You'll get there. Minnesotians. Min- no, Minnesotans. Minnesotans. Minnesotas. Minnesotas. That album was very sexual, and it did no not way. do as well as Prince wanted it to, but it was still popular in the R&B and dance circuits. It would have killed now. Probably, yeah. His album after that, which was called Controversy, carried on with the same theme. Where oh. did he get that title from? <laughs> he carried on with the Minneapolis sound, or the Minnesota sound, whatever it was. He played a few shows opening for Rolling Stones in support of that album, and at one of those shows in Los Angeles, he appeared wearing a trench coat and bikini briefs. Icon. He was, Show me a picture. I don't have one. I am sorry. What? He was forced off the stage because the audience was throwing trash at him. That's so, so sad. Hold on. Prince. In 1981, Prince started a side project, which was a band called The Time. They released four albums in the decade, with Prince writing most of the material, but he didn't sing the lead vocals. That was a lady named Morris Day. He included a clause in his contract with Warner that allowed him to sign and produce new artists for the label, which is like a pretty incredible clause to mm-hmm. have in your contract. He was a prolific writer, and it was having like this side band at the time was a way for him to just kind of work through the backlog of songs and styles that he had created that didn't That's really fun. fit with his news thing. So he's like, eh, this isn't right for my album, but it allows me to get all these other songs out there. Morris Day and The Time were one of those acts, and Prince worked on those albums and others like it under a pseudonym to protect his own career should those projects just completely fail. But he demanded creative control over all of the projects he worked on, so The Time was just one of them. There were several other little ones. Hmm. Busy. In 1981, Andre finally quit Prince's band. Oh no. He was wanting to branch out and find a career of his own and was feeling pretty restricted by Prince's creative control which you could kind of understand sure. from like another musician perspective. Andre went on to be a producer and songwriter for several other artists, and he released some of his own music over the years, but understandably did not have the same success that Prince did, because very few artists did. Yep. Nothing wrong with just carving out your own little space, though. In 1982, Prince released his first double album called 1999, That was his kind of commercial breakthrough. His single, Little Red Corvette, was one of the first videos by a black artist played in heavy rotation on MTV, along with Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. The single was a worldwide hit and broke into the top ten. For the tour supporting that album, the opening acts were two of his side projects, The Time and an all-girl group called Vanity Six. Just kind of a throwback here. Mm-hmm. Vanity Six was fronted by a woman named Vanity, who we've already talked about. Do you remember her at all? No. She dated Nikki Six of Motley Crue, and they had a really unhealthy relationship where she kind of like introduced him to freebasing heroin, and he was very rude to her in his memoirs about like he was just using her for a fix kind of thing, and not a good relationship. 
but then she went on she went on to become a professional Christian evangelist before she passed away. So that was Vanity. All right, Vanity. Here is that song Little Red Corvette that got him popular. I love how pretentious Prince fans are. Like, stop gatekeeping this music and thinking you're the only one listening to Prince. Like, stop. That's a little red Corvette. Cute. You liking that one better than his like more soul funky stuff? No, I like the soul funky too. It's worth noting because of what comes later that Prince during this time was very anti-drug. He used to make fun of Pepe for smoking weed during recording sessions. He tried mushrooms once with Morris Day, had a bad trip, and said he'd never do it again. Honestly, I don't blame him. Did he do it again? He probably did it again. Well, I did say because of what comes later. So I mean, maybe he didn't do shrooms again. I don't know. Even during this time when everyone was doing cocaine, Prince would fuel his marathon recording sessions with vanilla cake and chocolate icing. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's rumored that he was dating Vanity and broke up with her because of her drug use. So just keep that in mind as we progress through this story. In 1983, Prince would start working on his most ambitious and celebrated project. He had renamed his band The Revolution, and many people think this was the time he first started letting other people have input into the creative output of the group. During his 1999 tour, his manager started to get some interest from Hollywood, so Warner agreed to finance a movie about Prince's upbringing in Minneapolis. That tried to stay true to fact. The result was an album and a movie that released together called Purple Rain. The album sold 13 million copies in the U.S. and spent 24 weeks in a row at number one, which is wild. Yeah. The movie grossed over 68 million at the box office. At one point in 1984, Prince had the number one album, single, and movie in the U.S. That's so great. Which was the first time anyone had ever done that. Has anyone done it else? I don't Taylor think so. No, because she didn't. I don't think Midnight's tour movie was ever number one. Maybe it was. I don't know. The Eras tour movie? Yeah. That's true. And it definitely was. She didn't have the number one album when that movie came out. That's true. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever done. I'm sure someone has. Whitney Houston, maybe, with the bodyguard. Oh. I don't know. Um,. The Purple Rain is also famous in another way. Tipper Gore, who is the former wife of Al Gore. Do you know Al Gore? Al. Al Gore. Al. Do you know him? 
Yeah. That didn't answer my question. You just said Al. <laughs> Al. <laughs> so you know who Al Gore is? Yeah, he's Al Gore. That's not making me feel like you know who he it's is. Politician. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so his wife Tipper. Awful name. Heard her. Bad. Heard her daughter singing "Darling Nikki," which was from that album. Okay. Which is a song that references masturbation, and was wildly sexual in its lyrics. So she formed the Parents Music Resource Group which advocated for the mandatory use of a warning label for explicit content in albums. Was he the first warning and label? I'm sure we've all seen that label. I don't know if this album was the first to get that label, but it's the one that sparked the need to have it. I respect it. Yeah. I want to say Straight Outta Compton was the first to have it, but maybe that's wrong. I don't know. First. We're never going to get Music. Warning label. But still, thought that was a little cool piece of information yeah, you'd want to know. Here is a very, very popular song from that album called When Doves Cry. when doves cry i like did you hear the doves crying no i didn't they're really quiet people can cry silently maybe doves can too can birds cry i doubt it what animals can cry cats don't cry are we the only ones that cry maybe i don't know anyway everyone expected the follow-up to purple rain to be similar or at least to carry on the winning formula that Prince discovered. The label, the fans, the press, they all expected radio-friendly songs in kind of like a similar style. So when Prince dropped the follow-up, which was called Around the World in a Day, they were all pretty surprised. It's a totally different sounding album. It was drawn from heavily psychedelic influences. It did end up selling pretty well, largely on the back of the single called Raspberry Beret. And also probably because of the success of Purple Rain. Everyone's going to yeah. buy the follow-up. Yeah. Anyway, here's Raspberry Beret so you can see how you feel about it. I like the name. One, two, one, two, three. I actually like this song. Oh, it's good. That looks like a fun party. Dancing I could do. 
<gasps> okay, outfit. Also, okay, outfit. I love him. Because this is so 90s. Nope. Wow. More snobby comments. That's actually the first funny one, though. I like Ray. it. I like it. That's yeah, a cool one. It's a good little bop. In 1984, the time broke up largely because they were fed up with Prince's control. So Prince just formed a new band called The Family. But that was mainly formed so he could continue his relationship with its singer, Susanna Melvoyne. The two would get engaged in 1985, and then they moved into a new secluded mansion. And... In 1986, he released Parade, which also did incredibly well, reaching number three, and served as the soundtrack to his second movie, which was widely panned. He received Raspberry Awards for Worst Director, Worst Actor, and Worst Original Song. What the hell is a Raspberry Award? We've been over this before. It's, Have we? It's like a anti-Oscars. It's like a instead of the best, they give awards to the worst. Yeah, but like, are they Redditors? Uh, Basically, yeah. Just <laughs> pre-read it, but yeah. Also that year, the song he wrote for the Bengals called Manic Monday hit number two in the charts. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize he wrote it until I did this episode. That's cool. He disbanded his band called The Revolution and released one of his most loved albums called Sign of the Times in 1987. He also planned on releasing a collection of hard funk called The Black Album. Mm-hmm. But he pulled it at the last minute because Aww. he thought it was too dark and immoral. What? <laughs> My dude, give us the music. Well, it did eventually come out in 1994. But some people claim that he decided to shelve that album because he had started taking hallucinogenics during this time. And he had a bad feeling about it while he was on ecstasy. Kind of like a... Like a know. gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like an ecstasy-fueled gut feeling. I couldn't begin to tell you what that feels like. <laughs> so instead of releasing the Black Album, he released his 10th album called Love Sexy. All one word. Nice. It took him three months to complete from start of writing until it was released, which is wild. It's very fast for the boy. But by this point, his albums were selling far better in Europe, so that's where most of his touring was focused. Frustrated with his declining sales, Prince fired his manager, Farg Noli. 
And crazy name. We've heard some crazy <laughs> names. And he hired the director of Purple Rain as his new manager. Warner Brothers encouraged Prince to contribute music to the soundtrack of their newest big movie, Batman. Since the director, Tim Burton, wanted to use his songs in a few key scenes. What? <laughs> Instead, Prince, who was a longtime fan of the Batman TV show, decided to record an entire solo album as the soundtrack. Wait. As you do. Did I not know this? I guess not. Is the soundtrack to Batman <laughs> all Prince? One of the Batmans, yeah. He worked on it basically completely alone with synth synthesizers. It did incredibly well and kind of pushed him back into the U.S. mainstream. The single, called Bat Dance, became his sixth number one. Here is Bat Dance. I have missed, I missed this part of Prince lore. And Batman lore, apparently. Well, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on Batman. But you're an expert on Prince? Yeah. <laughs> Well, this commenter says it only took two weeks. For the recording, probably. From, but from start of writing until release, it was three months. No, I believe you, but this commenter knows more than you. They might, honestly. There's a lot of smart people who comment on my YouTube video. That's a good point. It's so silly. It's so silly. It's so cute. Oh my god. how this song would fit in a Batman movie. Roll credits. This. Keep busting. Keep busting. That's the motto I live my life by. <laughs> Whoa, dude. <laughs> All right, well, that's Batman. I am not done. Nope, you're done. No. <laughs> Watch it on your own Stop. time. Stop. So Prince convinced a reluctant Warner Brothers to finance another film called Graffiti Bridge. He promised it would be a sequel to Purple Rain, and he was going to work with a lot of the people that he worked with for that first movie. Released in 1990, the Graffiti Bridge album reached number six, but the film was another complete flop. After that album, the last remaining members of his old band, The Revolution, officially left. It was also in 1990 that he saw... Oh, boy. Mate? Mate? It's M-A-Y-T-E. I'm bad at pronunciation. <clears throat> Garcia standing outside of his tour bus. He pointed her out to one of his bandmates and called her, quote, my future wife. She was 16. Oh. After graduating high school, she started working as one of his backup singers and dancers. 
They got married in 1996 when she was 22 and he was 37. Mm. They ended up having a son who died one week after he was born. Oh. And that took a massive toll on their marriage, and they divorced in 2000. It's also worth noting that Prince had suffered some accidents in his elaborate shows, so he was in a ton of pain most of the time. People speculate that he started to take like heavy-duty painkillers to battle some of that pain. I saw one like he was came down in like a bathtub or something in one of his shows, and apparently the, it just dropped, Holy and that cow. left him with like a lot of back pain, as yeah. you would expect. Also, that's how the majority of people yeah get hooked on right. things. That's what happened to Matthew Perry. He had a massive dislike of doctors, so his bandmates believed he was self-medicating in the early nineties. I and honestly, he probably had a great reason to dislike sure. doctors. Yeah. In 1991, Prince released an album called Diamonds and Pearls that introduced his new band, what, which he was calling the New Power Generation. It was mostly made up of established R&B and funk musicians. That album was a more streamlined sound and gave him some more hits. The song Cream became his last ever number one. The album after Diamonds and Pearls was titled after a strange symbol that was a combination of the male and female symbol. Like, you know, those little... Yeah. <clears throat> so it's kind of a symbol that pushes those together, mm-hmm. and it was called the love symbol. Very Prince. This album saw him adding in some hip-hop into his style. In 1992, Prince signed a massive extension with Warner for a record $100 million, which was the most for any solo artist in history. Cool. The contract also gave him the position of VP of A&R that came with a seat on the board of Warner Brothers. Wow. From the outset, Prince had misgivings about the contract, saying that his hand was shaking as he signed it. He was afraid of the length of the deal and the fact that ownership of his music transferred to Warner. Hmm. But he desperately needed money to continue recording and to pay for the upkeep of his really elaborate home studio. The contract also featured some unrealistic sales expectations basically matching what he was doing at his peak because they needed to recoup that $100 million in just six albums. But his sales were nowhere near his peak at this point in his Mm -hmm. career. The first album he released under that contract was called Carmen Electra, which is the name of a person. So I don't know why he did that. And it failed to even chart in both sides. He and the label blamed each other for that failure. So I think his Love Symbol album came out around this time, too, under that new contract. After that, he stunned Warner by saying that he was going to retire from music. He said the rest of the six albums would be pulled from his vault of 500 recorded but unreleased songs. Do it, King. Go. A ton of just recorded for fun songs. Yeah. Then, while on vacation in Puerto Rico, he had an idea. He declared his old self dead. (laughs) He renamed himself into the love symbol, which wasn't actually pronounceable. (laughs) So people called him the artist formerly known as Prince, but his official name was that love symbol. Or just the artist was another thing they called him. (laughs) In his mind, his birth name was more the property of Warner at that point and didn't represent his identity. Yeah, sure. He also thought since Warner owned all of prince's songs then if he wasn't prince then that would somehow void the contract which isn't how contracts work (laughs) but at the very least it would publicly highlight his grievances with his label 
Prince always hated greatest hits compilations, but Warner released one anyway against his wishes in order to recoup some of the insane amount of money that they spent on the Love Symbol album, which wasn't very successful. The greatest hits one was, but the Love Symbol album wasn't. In 1996, Prince finally fulfilled his Warner obligations, basically by just giving them a bunch of stuff from his vault, and started to release music on his own label. He called his first album away from Warner, Emancipation. How did he really feel? (laughs) Prince called it, quote, my most important record. I'm free and my music is free, end quote. Who's Prince? Sorry, the artist formerly known as Prince. Kind of surprising everyone, the triple album was a massive critical and commercial success. Here's a song called The Love We Make from that album. Desperate as the day that is tomorrow. That's the love symbol. Oh, I know. For those who do not know, the time has come to whip the dogs at beg, steal, or borrow from the table God set for his son. Wicked is the witch. Stands for nothing. All the while, watch, see you fall. All right, that's the love we make. Okay. <laughs> well, I can't really. I strong ca- feelings about that one. I, I can't. We didn't listen to enough of it for that's me to true. have strong feelings. In 2000, Prince released a press release saying that he would stop using the love symbol and go back to being Prince. For a while after that, Prince released music mainly through his online platform, which was kind of rare in the early 2000s. He's so ahead of his time. He also became a Jehovah's Witness in 2001. And it was said that he desperately needed hip surgery, but his religion wouldn't allow it since they didn't believe in blood transfusions. For the 2000s, Prince continued being a musical superstar, but for most of his career, especially as he got older, He was in a tremendous amount of pain. In April of 2016, he started feeling pretty sick and even had to cancel a few shows. He gave what would end up being his last performance on April 14th, 2016. On his flight back to Minnesota from that show, he became unresponsive, and his plane made an emergency stop for him to get naloxone, which was an opiate blocker. Once he became conscious, he left the hospital against medical advice. How are you feeling about that? Glad that it's over the counter now. (laughs) Prince had scheduled to work with an addiction specialist and pain management doctor on April 22nd. But on April 21st, 911 was called to the house saying that someone there was unresponsive and possibly dead. When the paramedics got there, they tried CPR but said that Prince had been dead for at least six hours. Oof. He had died from an accidental, accidental overdose of fentanyl. The fentanyl that killed him was contained in pills that were made to look like regular hydrocodone pills. That kicked off a long search into who sold him the pills, but no one was ever arrested for it. Since Prince had been twice divorced with no known children and no will, Prince's siblings and half-siblings were entitled to a share of his estate. In the next three weeks, 700 people came forward claiming to be half-siblings or descendants. Shocker. Yeah, 700 people. And that's the story of Prince. He was very iconic. He did a lot to open 
open doors for LGBTQ people, even though I don't know that he was one. He might have been bisexual. I don't know, but still kind of like breaking through those gender norms was yeah, very it's helpful. The, it's the gender fluid vibe of it all. Mm-hmm. And then also just his like blending of genres was very impressive. But yeah, that's wrapping up 80s pop. Cool. So probably around July, we'll get our next episode out. <laughs> and it'll be it'll be about hip hop. July, it will. It, we can't do July. We're too busy in July. That's true. Maybe August. <laughs> we'll be talking about hip hop and the birth of that. We're finally at rap, which is crazy. I am an expert in this genre, so you're not gonna be able name, to teach me anything. Five rap artists. Go, rappers. Five of them. Drake. That's one. Kendrick. Two. Jay-Z. <laughs> yeah, that's three. <laughs> Why'd you say that? Like, you didn't know if Jay-Z was a rapper. <laughs> what else would he be? I don't know. <laughs> no, not even Eminem. Not <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly. I have panicked. <laughs> All right. Well, Machine Gun Kelly isn't an artist. That's rude. <laughs> Anyway, we'll talk about that, and maybe Mika will know more rappers by the time we're done, hopefully. All right, anything you anything you want to say? I want to go curl up with a blanket and just go sleep. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Merry Christmas. Goodbye.